Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, um, the podcast where we take in new releases, or new to us at points, and break them down in whatever detail we please. Unfortunately, um, Vaughan is off on assignment, um, seeing a bunch of new Motown movies, which we'll hear about next time he's on, I'm sure. They're probably on the Motown cast instead. Um, but we have a much referenced on this podcast, only positively of course, um, but not yet heard. You may know her from um, the Stax Kino Thanks episode on Tall Girl 2, which also covered Tall Girl 1. It is um, Emma. Hello, Emma. How are you? Hello. I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Um, and we'll get the, the things out of the way. I mean, because I've mentioned you before, and this, this may surprise you. You've, you've come up every now and then, because we watch a lot of things together, and we spend a lot of time together. Um, it's true. So Emma and I are married, so this, this is nepotism of getting her onto the show. Um, otherwise, we couldn't we couldn't book a guest like this. Um, but it's the way we get it done. So, um, we have some movies to get through, um, two of which we watched together. Um, one in the cinema, one at home, for it was a streaming release. If you want a hot take on Netflix's new original film of The Mother, then we're going to go through that. Um, surprisingly, we'll get to it, um, parenthood-themed selection of movies. Um, three out of the four we're talking about are very parenthood-themed um, in very different ways. Um, we'll get to that. Um, but before we get to that, um, the first thing I'm going to talk about is a movie called Sisu, which Vaughan talked about on the last podcast, I think. I haven't seen it yet, because um, it was not available in this country, and now it, it was available to me in this country. Um, I presume, Emma, you've not heard of Sisu. Um, Other than you mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to refer to it as the life aquatic with Steve Sisu, um, but just to amuse myself. Um, so Sisu is a kind of like, got some spaghetti western stylings to it um, in the more like Kobuchi um, original Django, not Django Unchained, original Django kind of style of like B-movie, ultra-violent exploitation spaghetti western stuff. Um, but it is, so Sisu is a Finnish word and the film opens with a as mentioned in the last podcast, opens with a definition of the word Sisu and then tells you how there is no way of defining this word, which is a great way to start the movie. Um, basically, it just means like, you know, having like kutzpah, having like spirit and blah, blah, blah. Chutzpah. You know, having chutzpah. a bit of... Chutzpah. See, see, there are definitions difficult. Um, so it's about, you know, having frosty and spirit and it goes, there's no way of translating this outside of the Finnish language. So there you go. Um, there is a an ex-soldier um, who finds some gold and then he is found by a bunch of Nazis, and then it is about 89 minutes of him killing a whole bunch of Nazis, which, I see you nodding, sounds really, really fun and exciting. And you've got that kind of like big yellow text that's very kind of like, as I said, spaghetti westerny and fun. Um, but it is really dour, really self-serious, and we're gonna talk about a three-hour movie um, later that I found very, very compelling all the way through, and this like 80-some minute movie dragged for me. Um, there are bits of it that I think are very, very fun, um, but I wish it more concentrated on it. If you're going to make the guy kills a bunch of Nazis movie, I want it to be fun. Um, I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan, neither are yourself, uh, but I do like Inglourious Bastards, and I was thinking it'd be more like that, and it is not like that in the ways I wanted it to be, unfortunately. Do you want to know an Inglourious Bastards fact? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Welcome to our sub podcast of facts about Inglourious Bastards. Inglourious factoids. But I learned this week from yeah. hearing an interview with Simon Pegg. Oh, I, I, I heard that same interview in the car. <laughs> yeah. I, was this, so. I was driving to the vet as I heard that, as he played that bit from um, the Star Wars soundtrack. But which he was, was beautiful. originally supposed to play the character that Michael Fassbender played. Wow. And he couldn't because he was starring in Spielberg's Tintin and there was a scheduling conflict, so it went to Fassbender instead. 
instead. I will say, this is my controversial take, I'm going to say um, Spielberg Tintin is a better movie, um, because I really, really love that film. But I just like thinking about <laughs> that role, that's that's that a... would have gone to Simon Pegg, it's not very different. But do you know that Simon Pegg was also supposed to be the lead in Sisu as well? Um, I don't believe that. <laughs> no, he was not, but that, that would be strange. Um, yeah, see, so a bit, a bit dour of my liking. I mean, I, li- I, I don't dislike it. I just thought it would be fun and interesting. Um, it's this gruff, silent protagonist, kind of like musicless. It should be zippy and fun and cool. There's a bit towards the beginning, and this will excite me, but not you, where a guy gets a knife like right for his face. I was like, yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, I'm all right. And then, then, <laughs> then it was not that kind of level um, for the rest of it. Um, so that's Sisu. Um, now, I went to see a movie yesterday, as you are aware. Um, I would say the new movie from Ari Aster mm-hmm. and you've seen his previous two movies do you want to give your, your, your take on the previous two so Hereditary and Midsommar yeah they're great yeah both great I mean I think Hereditary uh, I mean Midsommar I don't think I came away with a huge amount of dread as, yeah but as much as maybe other people did but I definitely <laughs> did with Hereditary yeah I, I remember afterwards when we watched Hereditary of I was walking around uh, the bedroom upstairs and I was making that like that sound and you're like please stop doing that and I was like sorry because yeah. it's just that's an addictive sound to make it's pretty horrifying it's one you know the scene I feel like it's pretty uh, the one that's um that the film was named after yes what's yeah. your pun <laughs> yeah. yes it's that one um so um this is the new film so I mean what do you expect from an Ari Aster movie at this point I mean I know it's a very early career but in the same way that we were had a lot of expectations around um the third Jordan Peele film for example mm-hmm. Silver's like what an Ari Aster film is. I mean, he's made some shorts. That, yeah, I don't like his shorts. Um, but what do you expect from him at this point? Intense. Yes. <laughs> uh, a psychological mm-hmm. edge to it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, but, it's but, a family dynamic here. Yeah, it covers a bit. Good. Yeah, um, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. This is definitely a part of a, a trilogy, and it, I think it's going to go... You know how Darren Aronofsky only makes films about obsession? Um, it very much feels like Ari Aster is only going to make films about family and family trauma, and what we pass on to people, what that means. Yeah, it does. Um, that makes sense. And this is 100% about that as well. So it is that is the lineage, the genealogy of it, that is, is really cool. So it's that kind of theme. I think that's the best part of it. Um, I do really, really like it. What I like more is its previous titles. It's called Bo is Afraid. But it was supposed to be called Disappointment Boulevard, which I think is a great name for a movie. Um, How's Bo spelled? Um, B-A- B-E-A-U. Ah. Bo. Um, because he did a short film called Bo that I told you about the other day, um, where that person leaves his keys in his door and they go missing. Oh, yeah. And then he, he can't deal with that. So that's the thing that happens in this film um, quite early on. Um, I know you haven't seen the whole of this movie, and I didn't like this movie. <laughs> Did you remember Inland Empire, the David Lynch movie, that you... Um... Oh, I fell asleep. <laughs> then you left when I was watching, because you're like, what is this? We're out in France. Did I go, like, leave the room you, and go for a nap? You, you, you left to go see the dogs, I think, because you're out my parents. You're like, yeah, no, because you, you quite like Marlon Drive. No, I'm I like, just... let's check this out. And like, I just probably wasn't in the mood. No. Like, um... A really nice <laughs> countryside kind of house in France, and just thought, yeah, I'm not. I'm going to go in the sunshine instead. Yeah. Bo's Afraid is one of the closest things to Inland Empire I've seen since Inland Empire, um, which means that most people are not going to like this movie at all. Um, and it feels with his last two films, there was a sense of, there was a prestige sheen to them. Of peop- They are strange and somewhat niche films, but they have a cinematic kind of gloss to them that makes them have an appeal that is a bit more mainstream. A lot of people watch them and they are stately, well-appointed, dramatic, character-focused films. Mm. 
this is just chaos. This is just okay. like absolute chaos cinema um, for, for, three for three hours. Is it intense? Um, it's really intense. It's really funny. And I think if you like it or not, will be about based on how funny you find it in the cinema, which was quite full. Me and three other people were laughing uproariously quite a lot. The rest like deadly silence, and the more they did not laugh at things, and it's just it's just little things. There's a bit early on, and this is oh god, it's gonna not work out of context. But they talk about a character dying um, in quite a grim way, and they say that both her face and head have gone. I'm, and that's just such a fun sentence construction to me because one definitely implies the other. Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Face is in a head. Head is not necessarily a face. It's like her face and her head has gone. Just tickled me quite a lot. And it's a bit um, towards the end about a head injury. Um, and it's a great line where um, Hayley Squires from Mike Daniel Blake is in it towards the end which is great um, and she's really really good and she's um, looking after Bo's head injury and she like takes the bandage off and it starts like bleeding 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 and she's like no don't worry head wounds they just bleed a lot and then they stop and he goes is that true? and she goes yeah don't worry I know all about this my dad bled to death <laughs> it's, it's that kind of stuff Consistent. it's that kind of humour all the way through and it's, it's he described it Ariasta as like a his exact words was a three hour Jewish joke um, so it's very much about his his identity, um, his feelings, and his feelings about his parents, specifically his mother. Um, the obvious question is, what is Bo, what is Bo afraid of? Um, Bo is afraid of everything. And the reason I mentioned Inland Empire is because Inland Empire had that amazing tagline that was just a woman in trouble, perhaps in peril. And like, if you ask what's Inland Empire about, you go, what's about a woman in trouble? That's what Bo is afraid is about. It's like, yeah, Bo is afraid. Yeah, but Bo is, Bo is, Bo is just afraid. Um, the core idea of it is... You know, Punch Drunk Love is a very good kind of like presentation of what it's like to be different, perhaps really anxious and not understood by those around you. Yes. And but then that has a lovely love story to it and takes it that way. This is like, what if we took the love story element out of that? And it's that same abrasive, everything around him is chaos. Um, The way it's filmed is, I mean, it looks beautiful, um, but... It's so hyper-exaggerated of absolute chaos, and there's just so much going on in the screen at all points of just mad things in the background, and really horrible things in the background. Some site jokes and really good graffiti stuff early on as he goes into his apartment. Cool. Um, um, for those that don't know, um, Emma is doing a PhD on graffiti at the moment, um, so I always mention graffiti stuff in the movies. Um, really good use for like scene setting and used comedically, and then used as like a, a demarcation of chaos like um, at that point in the film. I thought it was really, really funny. Um, and you know the Philip Larkin poem, um, This Be The Verse, the most famous Philip Larkin poem? The, they fuck you up, your mum and dad, they don't mean to do. Yes. That is the movie, really. But if you replace the, they don't mean to with, but they definitely mean to. Gosh, um, okay. This movie is, a movie to put it later, is about how important parents can be and is like so uplifting about parenthood. This film's thesis seems to be that like parenting can be an act of violence, um, that you can really do a lot of damage to somebody. I think that's pretty fair. And it, I, I, that's I, a very I, fair comment to make, yeah. And I think it's really interesting of that, of Bo is this person who just cannot deal with the world around him, and that's what's presented as this violent place. Like he walks into his apartment, people like running at him with knives and stuff, so it's so it's so hyper stylized but it being like completely unrealistic. But you get this sense that it is this subjective space of this person has not been given the tools through his upbringing to deal with the world and and he keeps on these surrogate family units and they all take advantage of him in different ways and give him things in different ways and it just like strolls on through that and through that and through that and it becomes very literal about it at the end of like there is a meeting with the mother um, be it literal or metaphorical um, there are bits with the end that overstep there is a giant um, 
Oh, it's the spoilers. I can say it. There was a giant penis monster um, towards the end. The, there was a funny visual gag. It would be a better film if it didn't have... Because his short films are quite juvenile. Mm. Um, and it felt like this had his best bits, but his worst bits, like the juvenile gets back in about, I didn't need the giant penis monster. So maybe he could have cut the film down a bit by taking that little... I, I, and actually, the best sequence of it, I would argue maybe you could cut from the film. Um, so... Maybe the best sequence is a bit directed by the people that did The Wolf House. And The Wolf House is my favourite films in general, actually, especially the last few years. It's an animation, um, Chilean animation, Chilean-German animation. Um, and it is literally about people... Maybe we'll get this wrong, I apologise. But um, those not high-profile Nazis that left to Chile and then became part of Pinochet's regime and lived out there. And it is this astonishing piece of anim- allegorical animation which is this like house coming together before your eyes and coming apart it's all stop motion it's, it's it is one of the most stunning things i've ever seen um and Arias saw that and got the people that made it to produce parts there's an animated sequence partly through that looks beautiful and has this lovely second person monologue that's really really interesting and i was like this is maybe the best part of the film but i don't know if it fits in the film really of everything else was chaotically focused even if it is, it's it's like Jean-Luc Godard's weekend, and like it's absolute madness, but it's doing a clear thing, and this kind of pushes it out a bit. Um, the last thing I say about it, if we move on to films we've seen. Um, it it the, I think why I like it is, it feels like it's a three-hour joke, and this will not surprise you at all, but I used to really really enjoy those jokes where the punchlines really matter, and it's like how long can you mm. keep the setup going, setup going, and setup going. Um, this is the least surprising stuff I told you. When I was doing my GCSE maths, I, would, I sat next to two kids, Adam and Justin, and I spent like two weeks to see if I could do it, just telling this one joke, which boiled down to the idea of like a kid buys tractors every year and then decides not to buy a tractor, and then a house burns on fire, and he sucks up the fire into his mouth and says, like, how do you do that? And he goes, well, I'm an, I'm an ex-tractor fan. And that, that's literally the joke. The idea is like, how can, how can you make this joke last a whole week of maths lessons? Or it's like the digressions become the interest. And Bo is Afraid feels like that. Of, And there is... I can spoil the thing. There is this thing where he believes that if he is to ejaculate, he is going to die. Um, and that's this thing that is not always referenced, but is part of his like generalised anxiety thing. And that leads to a joke towards the end. Um, which is quite funny. Um, he does. He does. He does not die. <laughs> so there's a sense of being like this thing. So it does feel like a, a fun shaggy dog story joke of a film in in the in the best way. Um, it is. I don't want to say it's ill disciplined because I think it's really well made and well put together. It is definitely you. I don't know what you would think of it. I don't think you would love it. I think you would find stuff to enjoy in it and be like, okay, I get what it's doing. Um, as you said about Avatar. Um, it definitely is overindulgent and doesn't need to be a three-hour here is my trauma on screen. It's someone's like, maybe you should just like phone your mum. Maybe you should just like have this phone call. Just get some therapy that well, works for you. Well, a lot of the film is actually about therapy. Um, there's, he talks to his therapist and one of the plot points is well, it becomes, for, a, for an easier reference, it becomes a bit Truman show of him realising that um, everything he thought was going on has been orchestrated in this like hyper real like unreal way that his mum's been behind this and has like set up her own death etc etc um and a cool thing is it's about this fear of what if the way that you think you are in the world 
is different to how you actually are in the world and people villainize themselves um so he, there is a, a matter in life and death sequence at the end of he gets put on trial about his life and it shows things that like deal with his deep insecurities of like things that are ultimately fine of he was being like run down in the street with someone who went inside they're like well why don't you give money to this beggar why don't you help this person out you do these other things in your life and it's that way that we are our, our cruelest critics of ourselves and we view ourselves in that way and he talks openly in therapy um but then he realises that therapist has been planted by his mother and is just recording all the things to play back to it. And it's mother being like, how dare you say these things about me? Oh, and she gets like really weird about it. She's like, oh, and then you didn't want to break breastfeed when I was a child. You rejected me at that point. So it is all about these weights we put on mm-hmm. each other. The self that we think we are, the self that others see, and our great fear of what if everyone else saw us the way that we see ourselves. And I think that stuff's really wonderful and really, really cool. And then it's just this like... Very, very silly, strange chaos movie around that. But I thought it was great. I really, really liked it. I didn't think I was going to, and I thought it was really, really great. Um, so yeah, Bo is Afraid is good. Disappointment Boulevard is a better title, and would fit the movie better. But Bo is Afraid. It should be Disappointment Boulevard, subtitle, Bo is Afraid. From the sublime to the ridiculous, Emma, you were charged with picking a, a movie on the streaming service for us to watch. I picked a few. You did, you did, you did, from, you did. True, 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 true. So... Openness, honesty. Yeah, I gave you a few films to yes. pick from, and then you, of the three, I think it was three I gave you. Yeah. And it was slim pickings to yeah. find some yeah. newer stuff that had come out that was actually new on Netflix. It felt that way, at least. Yeah, we watched The Mother, um, which is terrible. Like, I think actually legitimately terrible. I thought it would be kind of like a, a fun bad, but it was a, a classic, like, one star, this is... Because I think it's actually quite a mean movie. I think it's actually quite nasty in ways I wasn't expecting it to be. But we'll get to that. Um, if you're willing to, and feel free not to, could you describe us a, a little bit of what is The Mother? Um, so, The Mother... Does she ever... We actually know her name? I don't know? think so. I don't... She's not really referred to much. She is, like, the titular mother. Yeah, she is credited as Mother. Uh, right, so Mother is played by Jennifer Lopez. Yes! Who can be brilliant. Can, who can be brilliant and she is in the army the US army yeah they yes. get to that later and that is a point that makes the film really quite bad yeah so she's in that and then she gets chosen to do some rather nefarious stuff mm-hmm. not realizing quite how bad yeah. it is uh, with two men who she seems uh, entangled romantically with romantically entwined perhaps <laughs> and I wonder if the title is going to play into this then finds out that they're doing some very, very awful things, more yeah. awful than she thought they were doing, and decides to escape, but she is pregnant at this point. Yes. Nine months, maybe nine months pregnant yeah. at this point, and the start of the film begins with one of them coming after her as she tries to negotiate with the FBI. Yeah. Um, I want to somewhat retract a statement I made on this podcast recently about my issue of the Evil Dead rise was that there needed to be, like, more stakes in terms of violence to the pregnant person, and now that Mother opens with that, I was like, no, turns out, no. Yeah, um, I think what a way to open the movie. It was... Really steer clear of, of attacking pregnant women. Yeah, it... It opens people, pregnant people. It, it, op- it opens with, with the targeted attacking of a pregnant person, um, and... In a film like Gaspinoe's Climax, that is done, but that is done very, very purposely, and that's one of the few Gaspinoe films I really, really like. Um, and in a film like Anthropophagus, um, that's done, that's done terribly. Um, I don't want to be thinking of those movies whilst watching this, like, J-Lo, like, actioner, and that's a problem. To go to Sisu, which is a better film than this, um, a problem I have the whole way through this film is this should be, like, a sleek 
kind of fun or at least exciting Netflix thriller. And it's just so self-serious, so ugly, a narrative with nothing. I, so I, I've just been quite tired this week. And <laughs> the context of this was that I fell asleep partway mm. through. And which happens. Which happens. But the kicker. I didn't really ask what happened. <laughs> yeah, you like woke up. It's like a speed run. It's like... You know, I just, I'd missed part of the film. It was fine. It reminded me when we went to see, um, years ago, um, own... Quantum of Solace. No, uh, no, that wasn't even Quantum of Solace. That was um, Spectre. Oh, God, yeah, no, that was Spectre when you went to sleep for like an hour and you woke up and you asked what you'd missed and I went, nothing. Um, it seems like I fall asleep a lot. <laughs> no, but it reminded me of when we went to see Only God Forgives and you made yourself fall asleep because, oh, you, yeah. hate, because you hated the movie so much. Which yeah, I was, was so upset. It was just, it freaked me out so much that I just decided to just have a nap. Yeah, that's not a, not, not, a gr- not a great And to movie. be fair, I love this time was when we had a week, like a monthly pass. <laughs> yeah, I was seeing strange <laughs> movies. Like I was wasting money. I was just like... Strange know. movies at strange hours of the day, yeah. Um, Jennifer Lopez, I think, as I mentioned earlier, can be absolutely excellent. Um, obviously recently brilliant in Hustlers. Um, and a film I absolutely love is Out of Sight, um, which she is just absolutely amazing in and is a kind of like cool thriller of the kind. I think... Because we talked about this, and you made the point that, that she's playing against type um, to an extent, which is interesting, because when you think, J-Lo, that she is, she is stylish, she is glamorous, she would play against type, but she has a type for well, a reason. she's stylish and she's glamorous, but she's always presenting herself as being this, like, plucky... Yeah. ...New Yorker type yeah, figure true. as well, as, who's gone then to a glamorous yeah. lifestyle. And she has that presence and so good at that, and this film leans a- away from that quite purposely, but it does so, so much, I'm like, you should just cast someone else, because she, she seems miscast. It's clearly purposeful from her, but it ends up being like, you're much more interested in this character is, and this character is a nothing. Um, she has to be a character that's both emotionless yes. a lot of the time, and yet has the drive of the movie, that she has yeah. great emotion and great love for this child that she doesn't know and, and or that has grown to know. Yeah, so that, that's pregnant. that's the major plot point. If we have this like jump of like 18 years um, and it's she's... 12 years. Sorry, yes, 12 years. So a, a whole boyhood worth of time happens. Um, so we have this jump and then the, the child is 12 now and she has no connection with the child, physical connection. She's because, been made to by the FBI yeah. to give the child. Who are the good guys of this movie? The FBI, the good guys of this film. Um, who've been who've been made to? She's been made to give up this child for adoption because yeah. her life is just under so much risk her, that her they vague, would want to come she, after the baby. Yeah. So she does, and then she goes into the wilderness for twelve years in, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Doesn't seemingly age at all. Yeah, but years, <laughs> which is wild. At all, it's like twelve um, years past. Like they, they do not appear to have done. So, and uh, and then she finds out that the the, the girl, her daughter, uh, is it her biological daughter, is at risk. Yes, from Gail uh, Garcia Bernal, who again is usually brilliant here. Eh? I did wonder when we saw it. We watched the trailer for this. Yes, why they had only uh, named Jennifer Lopez. Despite mm. the fact they had Joseph, Joseph Fiennes uh, as well in it, but they they're, they're in it so casually. Yeah, it, it it is so focused to Jennifer Lopez, which would work if she was a character, but as as you mentioned, she just isn't. Um, and I think that's really astute. Of like, she has this double role of being emotionless badass, but the beating heart of the film, and she just isn't that. Um, which to me sounds like yeah, whatever the movie's bad, 
but the reason why I think it's really actually quite horrendous is it's really distasteful. So an early thing that she does is she opens fire from a sniper rifle into a child's playground to shoot some people. And that just like sends some stray bullets flying. I'm like, this is the person that we are aligning ourselves with. And that's like a really dangerous scenario that you've opened up. And that that's kind of rough. And also at that point, she can just kill the person. So she's willing to just like shoot randomly, but is not willing to shoot the one person. If she shot, it would have Well, sold. she's like shooting at the people that she thinks are the baddies, but it just so happens there's lots of kids around as yeah. well. And I think the, the idea is that they there's a quite a bit of exposition, isn't there? They oh, talk God, about yeah. how she's... So she was chosen by these guys because yeah. she's so great at what she does. She's an excellent... Classic uh, film being like, you're good at the things that you're yeah, good at. Yeah, you're good at. So I think that the old idea is that we're not supposed to be worried about these kids because she's got such a good yeah. a good shot that they're not under risk. But, but for me, it's that the film just never thinks about things outside that. Like, yes, don't worry about that, but this is still like 20 kids here just like just witnessed this thing happen. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's a severe amount of trauma for these children, especially if we're considering um, anyone listening in the US about yeah, what happens, yeah. to, the risk that happens to children, well, I'm just, and just not really considering that at all. I spoke in the podcast a while ago about John Wick 4, and I said that when I went to see John Wick 2, it's a film that I revisited, and it it must have been released near a time there was, which is all the time, when there was a public shooting. And there's just a scene in that film when just gunfire starts going off in public, and it just completely just took me... I just, like, I just don't enjoy this anymore. And I think I just... I'm quite sensitive to that in film, I think, of just... Because it, it so brings it out of the filmic world into the real world. And then later, um, you see her torture someone and waterboard someone. I feel like I was coming in and out of a nap. Yeah, oh god, yeah. And it has this, like, it's it's shot so boringly, but occasionally it really commits to, in a way, like, it's quite similar to Paul Schrader's The Card Counts, which came out last year, which I really didn't like at all, um, that it has this whole um, Guantanamo Bay um, subplot filmed in bizarre ways. So she waterboards someone and is successfully waterboards them in the sense that gets information out of. So it's a legitimization of torture. And she did apparently um, work at Guantanamo Bay. So and that's what it does. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, don't do that. So it then says, oh, I did some tours of Afghanistan. And then I'm like, oh, so you're actually implying, okay. And then it goes, oh, and I actually worked at Guantanamo Bay. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So rather than being like, this is a broken person, it's like, she has the skills to save her daughter and is a badass. Because, yeah, I just I found that so utterly distasteful that I just I just completely rejected the movie at that point and just just could not with it. Um, I was really I was really appalled by it. I'm just wondering what the the kind of reason was behind creating this film. I don't know. It felt very much like Netflix wanted a J Lo action movie as a you know, and they're going to do it as the mother to bring in. Yeah bringing an audience well the father was big wasn't it um, people liked the father so much I don't think people who are watching this might not have heard of the so not everyone would have <laughs> I think uh, well Oscar you know I think um, how does he call the son we talked about I the bet she got paid a lot of money I bet she I wonder if she's she's got a Netflix show yeah, yeah I, I bet this is the they're throwing money because well, they were throwing money at, at directors weren't they um, which is why you get your Irishmans and it's maybe and now this didn't, is I didn't feel really like, you know it was directed but it didn't feel particularly no, it was... interestingly directed <laughs> no not at all uh, so yeah, maybe I, I, I think actively at, badly directed at, at actors now uh, to get them to get people to watch something it went to the top one I think in the UK uh, pretty quickly yeah but they have control of that, though, as well. So I'm always reticent to to put any stock in that if they can put whatever they want in that slot. But it was just not... 
I couldn't even tell you, even though I think I watched the end, I actually couldn't think I could tell you what happened because I just yeah. probably had turned off at that point. So it's, it's Nikki Caro as the director who you will know from um, the live-action Mulan remake, which is also absolutely terrible. Um, it's... It is a really badly directed, really badly put together film. Like, even on just, like, just if you were to break down a scene and, like, present it to a class and it's about editing, you're like, this is just edited terribly um, all the way through. So, yeah, which is fine. And then I just found it distasteful um, at those points. I mean, one thing I would, I do have a question about with the film that yeah. someone can, can answer at some point Ooh. is, uh, is it possible to just go underneath a car... Yes, we talked car, about this. At any point, to go underneath a car and just punch it and then be able to climb in through the bottom of the car. I just want to know if that's a thing. There are types Zelda of cars, Ascend power. Types of old cars where you can do that. You can just punch through the bottom and then climb in into the driver's seat. Yeah. I mean, if it is true, that, that has unleashed a new fear in yes, me. And can you then <laughs> just stick a knife and just start the car? Yeah. Which is then the next thing that she does. Which is, yeah, um, yes, really cynical, nihilistic, horrible movie. Um, and, yeah, just... Yeah. Oh, and there's some visible difference, stigmatization at the uh, towards the end of they're like, this person has um, some burn marks in his head, so therefore is the villain. So, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So it's like a Bond movie. So that's the mother in our second of our... Parenthood features. Now, the next movie um, we saw on as recording on Friday because um, it just came. I know it came out in the states a little bit before, um, but we went to see "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret," um, which is based on a book that I read today because it's really, really short. Um, the book is okay, um, and then we realise quite how brilliant the film is because so much of my favourite things in the film are kind of in the book but have been changed and reshaped. So if we go to what the film is, there's a really great scene towards the end of the film where two sets of grandparents descend onto a meal and it's like this brilliant comedic set piece. That doesn't happen in the book. In the book, one set of grandparents descend and then leave and then other, well, a grandparent with a partner um, then descend. So I think what I'm trying to say is there is lots of clear decisions of here's what's in the book here is the thing that works, and how can we twist this to make the best version of it? And it feels like that's the decision, and that's why it's such a brilliant adaptation. Everyone's like, there's something here, and what if it's absolutely great? And I'll get more to that in a second. But what is this movie? Uh, so it's a young girl who's mm-hmm. 11, uh, yes. whose uh, father is Jewish and mother is from a uh, Catholic or Christian family. Yeah. And I think not Catholic because she wasn't familiar with, yeah, with um, confession, was she? Yes, so yeah, a, a, a Christian, probably and waspy. They, they live in New York, and yes. uh, Margaret finds out at the beginning of the film they're very close with her grandma, yes, who is her dad's so side, good. who I initially didn't like, but then yeah. grew to, to really love. Mm. And um, so they're living in New York, and she's obviously they introduce it. She's very excited to be living in New York. The hustle yeah. and the bustle. And then they tell her, or her grandma does, that um, her and her parents, as in the young girl Margaret and her parents, are going to be moving to New Jersey yeah. uh, so that the father can take up a new uh, job and so that the mother can then not have to work um, and spend more time with Margaret, which Margaret's very upset about because she loves New York and she mm-hmm. loves her friends and she, is, as any 11-year-old probably would be, is scared about the move and what's to come. Yeah, and this is Kelly Freeman, um, who 
in the director's chair, who previously directed Edge of Seventeen, which you have seen and we really like. Um, we're, we're going to watch it, rewatch it, um, while she gets more done today, because I've not seen it and it looks fabulous. And I will speak for, for both of us here. Um, loved this movie. I, I thought I would like it. Absolutely adored it. And I don't do this very often, as I'm sure everyone says, but partly for I just turned around and was like, I love this. Yeah, you said... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I did at one point, and then I think I came out and said... That it would be hard to see a film in 2023 that I think I liked as much as that. It's really, it's really wonderful. I liked living in the world. Yeah. And I liked just like being there within it. I think it's just one, and we talk about turning red on this podcast, and it's it's why that worked off me of it. It's so precisely realised at every point of such a great evocation of a time, a place, a people that takes this world. And a thing that I found about the book is I found the book to be quite slight. Um, in that you're laser focused on Margaret and to the extent that there doesn't be that much around it and it reminds me why the because novels are great at interiority whereas films are really good at suggestion and visual suggestion and the film is so good at suggesting so much life that's existing outside this character and I think we'll talk about boyhood a bit later there's a question that comes up that, that relates to that of I remember in as Boyhood that, yes, it is about boyhood, but it's all these other characters that come in. It's about fatherhood, it's about parenthood, it's about sisterhood, etc., etc. Um, so many outstanding character moments. And when we spoke on the way back in the car, the thing I kept saying is there are so many points where a worse film would do this. It's like imagine worse, the worst version of this. And actually, the book does it at some point, yeah, which is wild yeah. to me. So, so there's a, a, some editorial choices it, with, the, with the movie. Then that's which is why it's so good. So there's, there's a brilliant bit. So Benny Safdie plays the dad, who is fine. Everyone else is brilliant. He's fine. He's good. He's fine. Um, um, Benny Safdie of, of director fame, um, Uncut Gems, and oh, what's that other movie called? Good Time. Good Time. Just great. Um, and Dead Long Legs, which I have not seen. Um, so he... He is the dad and they get this letter about the estranged parents who rejected the mum because she married a Jewish man. Um, even though he started a relationship with a Jewish man. Um, I think it was like even before it was like, and was planning to, to wed. Um, and therefore have been out of their life for 14 years. And then they send like this letter of we want to meet you and your daughter. And he has not mentioned that letter at all. And that's... No one talks about that. And that's a really lovely moment of it's very, very clear to the characters. In the book, it goes back to narration of Margaret being like, no wonder Dad was upset. He wasn't mentioned in it at all. And it's taking that book and taking what's said. For me, all the best screenplays are like, here's the idea we put across. How can we put this across through suggestion? How can we show this rather than tell this? And it's such, I think it's an absolutely outstanding film because every point is just, this is shown perfectly. There are friendships and relationships that build up very naturally. You feel like everyone has their life outside of the film. The film doesn't need to exist for them to exist. The narrative continues after it. I, I think it's really outstanding. I, yeah, I loved it so much. I came out of it and said to Stephen that I really wanted a daughter. Mm. Like, I just really just love the relationship between, between the daughter and the mum in particular. Yeah. And the daughter really wants. She's part of this group of friends. And she, <laughs> it's so funny. She 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 really wants to get older, and she wants to meet certain milestones. Yeah. And you know, like a lot of kids at that age, are desperate. You know, thinking of themselves as adults. Yes. And when adults just look at them because they are kids. Yeah. Uh, and how do you deal with that as well as a parent of acknowledging that they are getting older and they increasingly having their own opinions and their own ideas and 
Uh, that's our dog sneaking in the background. Um, she has her opinions her whilst, whilst still being a child, you know, yeah. that's your child and you want to protect them. And so, you know, and this joy of them seeing, going through certain milestones, but also perceived sadness as well, if, if they are getting older and uh, that comes with its own kind of complications as a, as a parent. And it, it's just such a lovely, uh, I think we talked about it, that there's times where... Um, so it's Rachel McAdams that plays oh, she's, the mother, and she's incredible. She's absolutely incredible. Like, just I know I think Abby Abby Rutherfordson as as Margaret is one of my favorite performances of, of the year. Genuinely, she is absolutely stunning. She's so good as an eleven year old. And the two of them together are just, uh, and then the relationship also um, between uh, Margaret and the grandma, Kathy Bates, Bates, Kathy Bates of Misery. Uh, it's really lovely. There's some, uh, you know, I felt I came out of it, and I said to you, I feel like I felt every emotion that I could feel during that film. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because it it's just, really funny. It's, it's so, also just so complex. Yes. And, uh, you know, the device that it uses of Margaret uh, talking to God, who she doesn't know, she believes that he exists, she's got this complicated um, family life when it comes to religion. And, uh, you know, and she, you get to hear her innermost thoughts, yeah. but it doesn't feel intrusive. Ever. Yes, which, which the book does, I feel, because... It, it's this great reprieve of you hear her thoughts when it's there. And a thing I love about films, the films that I love, give you space as a viewer. And I feel this gives you so much space to intuit what is going on. It, it doesn't lead you through things. It doesn't force narratives on things. Um, whereas the book, because it's just, this is what I'm saying, does that all the time. And you are too much in her head. And I feel this becomes more universal, more brilliant, because you see bits of everything in, in, in everyone. And it becomes this, this wonderful suggestive piece in that way. And I think there's a point as well about, uh, we, just, we talked about it earlier, this uh, kind of what has passed down from parent yes. to child. And, and it's not quite that I was afraid. It is not that parenting is violence. No, it's, but we can see but that it, in, but in two, two of the girls, uh, Margaret and, and her mother, played by Rachel McAdams, and one of Margaret's friends, Nancy, yeah. and her mother. Um, and you can kind of see what's being passed down, whether it's yeah. kind of uh, unintentional or intentional. Uh, to the younger girls yeah. and kind of how that is helping not completely but helping to inform who they are uh, and who they're becoming based on the kind of examples that they might have set for them and another reason I keep going starting with another reason why the film is brilliant but uh, every, every character seems to have like a complete arc in the background without it being like stated or brought up so okay, you can go outside don't you want Darcy you can go outside that's our little puppy Darcy would like to go outside we yeah. think yeah. No, she just wants to just have the breeze, have the breeze. Um, so Rachel McAdams is 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 as the mother, um, Barbara. Um, we're coming for you, Barbara. Um, you remember that the best Simpsons episode, the you, you only moved twice, the Hank Scorpio one. Yes. Where, yes. You know, I was just thinking, what is that? What are you going to pick? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, that is where, one of the best Simpsons episodes. Yeah. Where, but it's about like domesticity and and, and femininity of. Marge is so happy because they're like they're going to move out to the country and it's going to be great she's going to have this like amazing fully fitted modern house and then she realises that she doesn't want that because she likes being an active mother and towards the beginning of this film and it never has this conversation about we're dissatisfied but she's like yeah I'm going to not teach art anymore because I'm running around and Marge's like but I thought you liked that and they have the surface level conversation that a parent and child would have but they don't have the under level because you're like mm, I kind of enjoy this here and then you see her throughout the whole film in the background fitting into the mother role which is symbolised by um, Nancy this like friend character by her mum of being like this like prim who's, and proper who's like kind of presented as the perfect mum yeah. she's the head of the PTA yes she does lots of things she does make she's awful <laughs> she, 
<laughs> Within the bounds of being like a, a fine human oh, character. Oh, we're talking about Nancy's mother. Are we talking about Nancy's mother and Nancy? Uh, both. I mean, Nancy is worse. I mean, <laughs> but she's just, a child. Like, they're, yeah. they're not awful. They're just complicated. They're yeah, not, true, true. I think the difference is they're not They're not kind. No, they're not. They're, they're not And bad. these three family characters bad, are really, but really they, kind. But they don't come across as being particularly kind. And I said this to you. I think there's a difference between kindness and politeness. Mm. And Nancy and her mother are definitely on the polite side. Yes, this facade whereas, of look at us. Whereas as, uh, Margaret and her mother are kind. Really? And, and yeah. it's a very different way of viewing the world, I think. And that gets passed yeah. on to, to a child, potentially. Of You can say what you mean, but it, you say what you think, but it's how you say it yes. a lot of the time. There's, there's a... A very funny point towards the end, I won't reveal too much, where... Oh, it's um, This is the spoiling podcast. I always uh, well, this, I get in trouble with this, I'm like, I shouldn't say this, and I'm like, people like, please spoil things, it's the premise uh, of the show. So, so Nancy's mother, like I said, is the, the head of the PTA, and yeah. uh, and um, Margaret's mother... Oh, I know exactly what wants, about. ...wants to... She, she wants to be in this mother role, and, you know... Being this very outward, like looking Which, mother. To, to interrupt slightly, it's because she wants to be in it because she wants to be a great mother to, to Margaret. But then she gets she co-opted into exactly. Really but mother. then she gets co-opted into the societal role of, of the mother what your beyond that. Are, which is what Nancy's mother symbolises. Yeah. And so she signs up for this is a hilarious moment where she signs up for every single <laughs> uh, really committee good, really in the PTA. It's very sweet. She's just very excited. Yeah. And then Nancy at one point suggests that they should get the gymnasium... Nancy's mother suggests that they should get the gymnasium uh, uh, ceiling repainted. Not in the book, not in the book at all. Uh, well, it's very funny. So they it's should so get good. the ceiling repainted and that then to make it more decorative, they will cut out 10,000 stars <laughs> out of fabric in order to stick them onto the ceiling. And so... There's, there's points in time we see Rachel McAdams just cutting out Again, the stars. Again, there's so much great background like plotting. Uh, because she's an art teacher, her stars are excellent. And yeah. then Nancy's mother, after, you know, she's exasperated to having done this. And then Nancy's mother says, can you um, cut out someone else's because yeah, they're not like, very yeah, they're good? Actually, and she's like, what, obviously. Great. Yeah. <laughs> you can just do that for us. <laughs> she doesn't want to, but she's like, oh, yeah, okay. Feels like she can't say no. <laughs> And she's embarrassed because she's not got furniture for the house either, so she's probably saying Which yes. comes up as, again, there's all these brilliant, like, running background gags that no one ever, The worst film would, would so foreground all these things. they're such a happy family. They haven't got their furniture sorted, but, you know, it doesn't matter. And every other house, another example of, of showing that you're happy and that, you know, mm. and not understanding necessarily the complicated things that can happen at home. And it pans to Christmas and... and it pans at every house at Christmas <laughs> that is beautifully decorated with really bright lights and then they get to theirs and, and the dad's just uh, is it the dad or is it a neighbour oh, it's a the the young boy that Margaret has a crush on Moose, Moose, Moose is shoveling snow Moose. and there's no lights and um, it's a really confident direction the whole way through it it's it just, just very knows. funny and uh, so she she cuts out these stars and then it finds out later just very quick scene doesn't <laughs> it the throwaway line that um, they can't put the stars because there might be a fire hazard. No, I think the exact line is, turns out everything's a fire hazard nowadays. <laughs> it's just, a bit of like a health and safety. It's a Boa's Afraid style little like, here's, you know, this was all, and, and, all and, for the gag. Because it's so short and it covers yes. like the fact that for almost entirely this film she's been cutting out it's these good. stars. And, and then later on, so she, as Stephen said, she, um, Nancy's mother wanted... Uh, to be a stay-at-home mum and to not have to teach art. But I think probably what's implied, or at least I thought in the yeah. film, was that it wasn't that she didn't want to teach art, she liked teaching art, but maybe the necessity of having to teach it for yes. economic and, and, reasons. And also like being in the city, I think, was very different. And then you see her in this like very more 
relaxed setting of very much of a nurturing setting in a classroom towards the end. Yeah, and I think just this idea of maybe like a slower Because she's a nurturer. Yeah, a slower paced life uh, that she can maybe choose when she mm. wants to teach, uh, that it's maybe she doesn't have to, they're not, they're a very fortunate family. Yeah. They're very privileged, they live in this very nice house now that they've moved out of the city. Uh, they economically probably don't rely on her income, so it's something yeah. she can just. We well, actually say, of like, yeah, because he's got yeah. a job now, it means I don't have to work. So she, she rather than have to sit at home all the time, she can choose to do this yeah. stuff, and that's a very different thing from having uh, to do your passion, particularly when you have mm. such a such a creative passion, and to do it for your work as opposed to just being able to do this because you want to. Yeah. Um, and then so, but getting to the story, Nancy's mum finds her outside <laughs> and says, "Oh, the girls are going to the next school." Next year, you know, summer, um, will you want to be on any of the committees? We know a few committees that we'll be, yeah. be great for. We know a few committees that we're great for, and she's, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Um, actually, no. She's <laughs> like, the thing is, I don't want to do that because I just don't want to do it. She's such a great character. She's so sweet and just so charismatic that she can pull that off. That it's this moment of like brilliant rebellion that would be so overstated in any other movie and just like it's just like she's like no actually because I just don't want to. And and Nancy's mum has this such this you don't know what it's like. It doesn't really reveal what it's like at home. You kind of yeah. get that an insight probably through Nancy and through yes. Nancy's brother, but that's about it. But maybe you can kind of imply from an archetype. And instead mm. um Nancy's mother, because she's got this air of politeness, just doesn't know what to say. She just smiles. <laughs> yeah, like, I know oh, it's so good. Okay. Because 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 she always has to appear a certain way, so she can't be shocked by yeah. what someone's just said. And I think uh, Rachel McAdams' character is, is just Barbara is just very aware of that. So yeah. she just says, it's, "I don't want to." Yeah. Which, which goes back to say at the beginning, like everything is so perfectly observed, and th- those are movies that I love. Whereas like this is just everything. It at points feels like the kind of like mannered comedy not visually, but written that you'd get from Wes Anderson or like Whit Stillman, um, which are usually very like upper class and male. And it's great to see that kind of precise comedic sensibility, both visual and dialogue um, from this really frank female perspective. And the book was controversial at the time because, and to quote a great joke from both the book and the film, if there's this video that's about menstruation, um, menstruation. But I, I loved, what I loved about that was there's, there's a whole plot point about the girls. They want their yeah. period to start. You know, they want to get older. Uh, they want to develop in other Which ways. It's a great symbol bodies. in of itself. And and to be honest, there's just this uh, kind of this idea of menstruation being this really disgusting thing. Please, please, really, menstruation. <laughs> being this very gross thing. And actually, they're just, you know, for whatever reason, they're just very they just really want, They just really, they just really want to have really their periods. Really you know, and, and like, uh, and they want to do certain things. And there's... Uh, you know, there's a joy in that as well, which is very you wouldn't expect to necessarily find in a film. Mm. And not uh, from a female perspective, no. no. It is that it is Stand By Me esque of like boys being boys, but like given to a female perspective that is and frank a and open. That's a great point when they, you know, they they want bigger bus. They're talking. I must. I must. <laughs> we must. We must, we must improve, improve our, our bus. bus it's very know? funny. It's so very, good. Very funny. And and you mentioned Stand By Me, and you said it came out of it that it felt like maybe a film from the eighties and nineties. And I yeah, think, it feels like a they don't make these anymore kind of movie. But I think actually what we're seeing from like the last mm. five, ten years is a surge in the number of films that deal with girlhood. Mm. And I think that is really nice because there are so many films uh, in the 80s where it's very much about boyhood. And the fact is you're getting this because there is an influx of female directors and an yeah. influx of female writers who are looking at these ideas and being given the opportunity to explore them. So we talked about we're going to watch Edge of 17 later. Yes, um, very excited. There's Lady Bird, 
which is uh, outstanding. Which is another great film. Um, we, we named quite a few. Well, because I talked about it, it reminded me quite a lot because you mentioned Girlhood and though I think Girlhood's quite a totally different movie but Celine Ciamar's um, Water Lilies and to an extent Petit Maman, um, there is that that one very... I mean, Tom, that, that's a, a confusing one I'm not of talking about. And we talked but, about, even though it's uh, directed or is it directed or written by Bo Burnham? Um, Eighth Grade, Eighth yeah, we'll talk about that later. Uh, which although from a male perspective, but just such a great thing at capturing the awkwardness of this age. Again, Bo Burnham should stick to directing masterpiece movies. He's good at that. Just He's bad at everything else. An age that I think everyone went through that's just so incredibly mm. awkward. Like, you're trying to figure stuff out. Uh, you don't really know who you are. Other people don't really know who you are yet fully. Yeah. You're kind of learning to deal with that yourself and getting older. People, There's a great bit of... Um, visual comedy in it mm. where they the kids are going to this uh, Norman is it Norman's party oh god it's so good yeah <laughs> Norman Fleischer I think is yeah. his name. Um, and he's kind of like <laughs> I feel bad for him he's my favourite but then also he's very movie. confident he's so he, funny you know, he'll be fine he invites the whole damn class because he's got money and he can make a they bougie party they all have party. to dress up they have this food that's very 70s looking oh it's so good and they then uh, decide they're going to play games they play spin, spin the bottle, the bottle and then... Norman uh, kisses of one girl in particular twice like because <laughs> he spins it to her so they have to kiss she then spins it to him it's so funny. and then it's suggested maybe they should play a different game so they talk about two minutes um, in heaven two minutes in heaven and this uh boy picks they have to pick numbers and the boy ends up picking and there's this, this very difficult not difficult but just quite a sad storyline of this girl who is so much taller and we talked about tall girl we did and tall girl too and how this film does a much better job and yeah. a tiny fraction of it of dealing with the awkwardness of being a very tall, more developed girl than your peers. And mm. she walks in early on in the film and Margaret mistakes her for the teacher and they say, no, she's in the same age as us. She developed when she was in fourth grade mm. and she's very tall. And there's a whole plot line about that um, and people making up rumours about yeah. her um, because they're essentially, because they're jealous of her because they think that she's, you know, these uh, things that they are so woman they, that they are so want seeking, that yeah. she has, but she at the same point she just wants to be seen like the girls. Yeah. Uh, and there's a there's a really beautiful scene later where Margaret apologizes to her after she's really mean. Yeah. And she later on asks her to dance. And oh, this girl is just lovely. so excited about it because that's just not something she's done because she's been ostracized just yeah. for being different and for being tall and for being more developed at that young age. And, and then another girl uh, who's a friend of mm. Margaret's joins. And oh, it's their relationship is so well done. It's so well done cinematically. And just really, really nice. And you see the different characters, um, the different characters of the girls without them having to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. But just going back to that comedic moment. So this very tall girl uh, ends up being choked. Like she ends up being picked out of the hat, essentially, or pick the number to go in with this very short, uh, short boy. Mind you, when we went to see that when I was working as a teacher, that school production of um, Greece, when you've got like those six formers, like the year sevens, and they're like dancing. And they're it's just like, oh, such, so such different heights. And you know, it says a lot about like uh, gender norms and social norms yep. that we have this issue with. But but there is something about it. Here it's more to do with the fact that she has uh, gone through puberty significantly yeah. earlier than. Uh, uh, the boys in her class, as well as some of the girls. Oh, they're just gross. They are <laughs> well presented. But, but, but gross, you but... know, this this uh, this boy just um, hasn't gone through that, so he's still quite short. And there's just this comedy of like, brilliantly awkward, very awkward coming out. And then Margaret gets to go into the. She gets chosen to go into the closet. 
with a boy that everyone in the class likes and and doesn't seem to particularly it, it's I, I like this and i feel a lot of people see themselves in this of and i i definitely could could see a lot of myself in this of like when you are growing up you are convinced that you should feel certain ways about things and it can be like what kind of people you find attractive and that that is a really interesting thing of being like she knows that she should and she can even describe that this is like the the handsomest boy in the class but she just is just not interested in him but then she knows she wants to be accepted and to be popular so she feigns this idea of like buying his I really really liked that and yeah just wanting to fit in mm. she you know and and she just wants to be the same as these girls yeah and fear of being said, different and then you think the fact that she's not said that you kind of wonder if they think that as well if they're not actually revealing yes. who they. Uh, do like in their class or the boys that they yeah. know and it's because there's a scene in which they have to reveal the boy books yeah, so they have to, um, to prove that they're kind of women and can be in this club yes or young women you know but they have well, they to, do themselves <laughs> women, so yeah. they have to wear bras they all come wearing <laughs> training bras they uh, have to uh, say which boy they like and write it down in their and books they can't wear socks. and disclose it and they can't wear socks which is so <laughs> just, just, just great um, <laughs> That's the most was Anderson thing. That's like fans of the like dog club. We don't wear socks. Yes. <laughs> and so they have to say that, but actually the boy that she likes is Moose, uh, like which her parents say realizing he's very sweet. Yeah. And there's this. Um... But it also can be a crude teen as well. Is yeah. They do a good job of that. Of like he will be a little bit mean and crass with the brother. And there's a there's a point in which they they all go for a meal, don't they, with. Um... Nancy's parents yeah. and so Margaret and Nancy and Nancy's brother and Moose and they're chatting getting on and you could just imagine that awkwardness of when you were that young yeah. when you were interested in someone I mean I remember my first ever crush was on a family friend who was <laughs> German and oh. we met on holiday and he was a few years older than I was and he ordered a tuna pizza <laughs> he ordered a tuna pizza. I had to order a tuna yeah, yeah, pizza it's, to it's... be like, we've got this commonality I like here. I, I hate. It. I love tuna now. I hated it. I hated it. And I was just like, why have I ordered this? And it is so good at that. It is so yeah. it, like at that age to kind of, and they manage that so well. And it's mm. but it's sweet and awkward. It's really and... sweet. It's it, it's really brilliant. And to go back to the dare I say the tall girl comparison of, like. I think we covered this, and please do listen to that podcast. I do think it's very good. Uh, we, we we talked about this thing of there is really a problem here about the, the standards that are placed upon young girls and women and gender standards in, in, in general. Um, but that doesn't mean you can make a whole movie about it. And what this movie proves is what you should do is make films about characters and from that you get themes. This film has so many brilliant themes. Religion is the primary theme, which yeah. nobody has spoken about because it, that is the direct text of the movie. And it is very interesting. I think it's very well done. I, I saw a lot of my own upbringing in that. Of I was very purposely brought up atheist because of my parents' relationship with religion. And that shaped my relationship to religion and like exploring religion at an early age as like a, a means of dissent. And as a means, so it's, it, it gets that very, very well. But it gets that because it, it nails character first. These are brilliant characters, and if you get characters right, and you have a... And there is a, a pleasing diversity to this film as well, but it goes out of its way to be so. And if you have a diversity of perspectives of people in your film, you will get a really brilliant treatment of important themes. I think the reason that it, it's better at capturing, actually, is that what could be a really, you know, the joke about Tawagor being this really ridiculous film, but but to be honest, actually, in this, in, in, uh, this film that we're talking about now... Um, 
it's actually really sad. It's very, very sad. Character well, she, yeah, because it's a joke, and that movie's she, a joke. She, you, in fact, she's not really a character until Margaret eventually speaks to her. She's mm. just the punchline for the yeah. other girls. She's the object of their kind of jealousy and the rumours that they end up making about her. She is ostracised from a lot of her class. Uh, not like it's just, it's not huge, but it's just hinted at, isn't yeah. it? It's implied, and it's at moments, and she just doesn't really seem to have any friends. Well, there's that little. It's, again, I love this movie. There's so many little things. The fact that she is she has to leave to go to church, but she's going to church by herself just to go to confession. So it's ev- everyone just has these. Everyone has interior and exterior lives in this movie that are really complex. Speak to them as characters, and when we left the movie, I was like, I bet the book of this is really good because it feels like very novelistic in that way. Of it feels like they've really hewn it down. And no, it, it, the book is is fine. It's not for me, and I'm sure to its audience at a time. From reading the seventies, it's really frank and really brilliant. But the film just knows how to work on suggestion. How if you evoke reality around yourself at all points, then, then it's just a, a brilliant feeling film. I just yeah, we both came out of it really, really enjoyed it. I think, I just, you know, I worry that people would be similar to kind of the reaction to Turning Red of being like, I can't connect with it, I don't. Yeah. But actually, I think anyone can connect with this film. I think so. Such uh, That dynamic between, we talked about the a parent and a child, or whether it's, whether it's a parent or a caregiver and a child, and also just the awkwardness yeah. of growing up and trying to figure yourself out both internally in yourself, how you present yourself yeah. externally, uh, who your friends are genuinely. And it's just like just... I was afraid, really. It's just like I was afraid. <laughs> who your friends are and who you're actually friends with. And I think that's a different thing as well. Yes, so yes. Out, just because you... Yeah, she turned up and the first day she talks to her is clearly popular girl joined my club and is like, this is my friend now. This is my friend group. And then you realise, does she does she actually like her or not? You know, that no. age where you're figuring out, do you actually like someone or, you know, do you click with And I think them? everyone's gone through that, of like, especially you become your... These people in your life, you become your own person and you make friends out of... I was so amazed about how many... Like, I had a close friend who would not be listening to this um, when I was at high school. And generally the reason why we were close friends is because his second name began with G and so did mine. So we sat next to each other all the time in lessons. So therefore we were friends. And we still talk every now and then. Um, every now and then. And like we're, we're friendly. But we're not like hugely similar people. Yeah. And that's the weirdness of school. Things like seating plans can like bring forward friendships that wouldn't exist when you develop as human beings. Or you just happen to live near. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a trope, isn't it? The next door neighbours turn yeah. <laughs> into boyfriend, girlfriend or best friend. <laughs> boyfriend, uh, girlfriend. In, <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend, yeah. What's about Barbie? Barbie will be talked about, don't worry. Uh, and, and just the... But, but you find out later on if these are genuine yeah. friendships. That, like, I mean, I... My best friend has been my best friend of over 20 years. Mm. Uh, we ended up being friends because we were in the same class together, yeah. but also because we ended up from our uh, second year of senior school getting bus- the bus yeah, yeah, yeah. together every day. The old meet cute. But, uh, but we've continued to be friends yeah. because she's amazing and we <laughs> connect on so many levels. And but you you realise that later on yeah that that I mean, fortuitous serendipitous yeah. then and be like oh that's great that it's great that we got brought together this way but yeah it explores the what if, what if that was not the case um, yeah well, and I thought you know you have other friendships where they're just like maybe friendships mm. of circumstance as yes. well and who you know friends within that particular which time which is brilliant thing about the film is it evokes non-verbally there is a really close connection in this friend group between two of the characters and it's because you see them together interacting well mm-hmm. as actors of each other and it builds up you go like this is a friendship the rest is like forced by circumstance yeah um please go see it um and on the last podcast 
No, it was on the Pipeline podcast with that question from Calvin about like leftist cinema, and I have this perpetual issue of being like, the problem with most important films is who they're being seen by and what audience they get to. Um, and even like really laudable, left-leaning, firebrand cinema being like, yeah, but everyone's watching this already agrees with this kind of thing. So kind of like, what's the point sometimes of... I think it's really important this film. It's PG. Um, PG-rated film that families can go see. And much like how I talked about on the podcast a while ago, when I left um, seeing Ennis Main and this, um, like, 18-year-old walked out to their dad and went, that was sick as shit. I'm like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. Because I'm thinking, being like, it meant this, it meant this. I was like, actually, no, that's what it was. It was sick as shit. Um, this lovely little family unit walks out just after us of these two daughters, mum um, and dad, and the daughter, the youngest daughter looked about the same age as as margaret and just the biggest grin because she didn't really didn't want to talk about why she she clearly just like loved her time in the cinema didn't want to talk about it and then the older sister really said no oh, we shouldn't have taken her to see this movie should we and that way of being like clearly just like so seeing yourself in a film and the dad was just just looked really blissful and really really happy and this thing of a movie that finds its right audience and this film can do which actually diary of a teenage girl if you remember because we saw that got that 18 rating and was such a perceptive film about emerging womanhood, yeah. um, about being being a teenager, and then its audience couldn't go see it and it was an important work. This doesn't feel sanded down to to get that rating, I mean, but I love that it has it. I think anyone, I'd hope any like most people would connect with this film, yeah. whether it's because you see those experiences in yourself, whether in some way or another, uh, whether you see those relationships uh, as well. It's even if you don't, it's just enjoyable to yeah. watch. And it, as I said before, it made me really want to have a daughter to have that sort of relationship. Maybe and then you can mine. get that being out of you and birds afraid the next day. <laughs> no one should be a parent. Ever. You know, it made me think of my relationship with my mum yeah. as well. And it, you know, if we are fortunate enough to have a daughter, you know, when yeah. when they're 11, 12 years old, I'd love to watch this. Yeah, it's, them. Yeah, yeah, and even if they're not really, really awkward. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. a, 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 Stop a, a, making a me watch awkardness. stuff, which I'm uh, sure if it's a child, we'll probably have I don't want to watch Cannibal Holocaust again. Yes, you do. Two things to do before we wrap up. We'll wrap up quite quickly. Um, so, Emma, you will not know this um, because you have better things to do with your time than listen to this terrible podcast. But we have, we have a segment on this um, show called Gear Up for Gran Turismo. Are you aware that a Gran Turismo movie is coming out this year? No. Do you know what Gran, do you know what Gran Turismo is? Well, that's a good question. Oh, wait, before you, before you bing it, thank you. Um, what's Gran Turismo? Um, I don't know if you'd know or not. You're not supposed to know, don't worry. Is this something to do with Fast and the Furious? No. Oh, God. I mean, if, if only. Gran Turismo... <laughs> Racing simulation video games. <laughs> From the PS1. They are like the most boring, I mean I really like them, and my brother loves them, um, pedestrian thing of you buy bad cars and drive them very realistically around tracks and it's just like pure car maintenance porn. It's, it cannot be a film. <laughs> it is some like Japanese jazz plays and you drive around in very realistic cars and they damage like cars should and you're like oh no my tyre pressure is low and my micro as I drive around this and um, they're making a Gran Turismo film so obviously we're very excited about that on this podcast here Um, (laughs) so I mean as are you now as well I don't know who the director of the Gran Turismo movie is going to be Um, is the question was do you want to know feel free to say no can you give me a hint yes they made one very celebrated film 
and their next film, there actually might be one between, became just a meme, and they have not made popular films since their first celebrated film. Science fiction film from, I'm going to say, 2009, maybe 2010? Gravity? No. What a weird view about the Quran. <laughs> you know what Quran made that one film that everyone liked? No, like what? Else. What sci-fi film came out around that time? The Gravity came out. Gravity was later. No, was Gravity was later. Um, yeah, yeah, we saw that. Did we? oh yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, another hint for the film. South African. Oh, District Nine. Yes, Neil Blomkamp, <laughs> director of District Nine and Chappie, the meme film. Chappie. Chappie, you know, Chappie. That's I wanted Chappie. to see Chappie really badly. Wasn't well, yeah, but then now we know stuff about Deant Wood, who are clearly really horrendous human beings mm. um, and who are major features in that film. So I'm glad I have not seen that movie. Yeah. Um, I don't like District Nine that much. I don't dislike it. Love that Neil Blomkamp's making a Gran Turismo movie, though. Um, did you know that... I feel like I really insulted... <laughs> yeah, you, you really like you, 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 you've written like academically about children of men like you are, I really love children of men you do yeah, so yeah. I think it's a really interesting film but uh, yeah take that Quran yeah, sorry <laughs> I was trying to think back going back to that yeah, period so, of time yeah, and that's yeah. the only one I could think yeah. of I think gravity, but we did see Gravity together yeah. and I remember coming out of that with the, uh, that film and, and not being really able to walk because mm, of, of gravity you just <laughs> no because my legs were, it was so intense that my legs really, were kind yeah. of like yeah, yeah, yeah. frozen up and yeah, I yeah. just really good movie, really good movie. Um, so yeah there's a Grand Turismo movie coming from Neil Camp, which is funny to me because he got his before he made District 9 he was pegged to make the Halo movie and made like, some Halo so it's weird that his like career has gone from from maybe he'll make a Halo film, so now he's making Gran Turismo, which is extra funny to me because, as of course you know, Halo was a Microsoft franchise and Gran Turismo was a PlayStation franchise. Maybe at the so. end of this year that you should do a rundown of the past ten years of uh, video game to film. Oh, oh, and oh. see which from best to worst. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 there's oh, some, pretty, some oh, pretty big ones that oh. have or will come out this year. So. I mean, I mean, we we watched the Street Fighter Legend of Chun Li as well. You know that's. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true about six of us, but yeah, it's been, been a year for video game movies already. Yeah. There's the Tetris movie, which was bad. The which was bad. So, I'm, you know what, I'm going to say, I think Gran Turismo will be the best video game movie this year. Bob? Oh no, Bobby's not a video game. I mean, I'm sure there are Bobby video games, but no, I think. There are Bobby video games, yeah. I, I, think, I think Gran Turismo is going to be the best video game movie of this year. More than Super... It was bad. It was bad. It's a bad movie for idiot children. It's an idiot. No, it's for idiot children. We don't say it's an idiot. It's not nice. For for unintelligent children, for silly children, for bad children, ill-disciplined. Maybe just people. Don't love it. Unrefined. I'm just going to blame children. Children that made it in that film anyway. It's for four-year-olds, damn it. So there you go. And before we wrap up, we have two quick questions from the audience to run past us. They're nice ones and they're nice quick ones. So from Calvin. Hello, Calvin. Friend of the show, of course. Has been on the show. If you're both willing to discuss, no pressure, what movies do you feel have the most to say about parenthood? While you think, because I've said before, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, we've mentioned them previously, um, so I'll go to, I mean, I mean, I could say um, Possession, but I will not go for that. Um, that, to an extent, very much does. And maybe, the, no, not The Brood, not The Brood, not The Brood. Um, hello, hello. Um, obviously, Brian Usner's Society, um, to an extent, has, has a lot to say about parenthood and Castle Freak as well. Um, but I'm going to say Eighth Grade, um, because... We talked about like Bo Burnham's lens in, and I think the thing that absolutely nails that movie of, and it goes back to the the um, 
the moral conversation of it's the things around that make the movie of yes that's a movie about that character but that father relationship is so brilliant and so core and Boyhood and we've talked about this quite a lot there's that moment in Boyhood that sticks with me is when um, Patricia Arquette's character realises that Ethan Hawke has become the father that she needed him to be earlier and that's one of the most like perceptive brilliant presentations of the changing roles of parents over time so Boyhood the film about that kid that grows up 12 years is a really perceptive film about parenthood uh, around the edges of it um, I think some good Wes Anderson stuff about parenthood as well but. I think I, mean, I think it depends on the way you way that the film is viewing parenthood mm. or maybe mm. multiple ways that it might be viewing it so whether yeah. it's viewing it through the lens of a child's understanding yeah of their of their parenthood so like as in their relationship with their parent and that can be very different to a film mm. where it's dealing with uh, with for example boyhood where yeah. it's more to do potentially with the kind of understanding of your own parenthood and others yeah within that um yeah, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is I uh, I really like not the recent Mulan. <laughs> oh, no, that's so great. That's so, yeah. Uh, just the relationship between mm. the daughter and the dad is is really, really quite lovely at points in it. And I think, uh, you know, quite a few kids' films deal with that as well. Of Tangled? Yeah. Of kind of, yeah. Uh, and we can also think... About Time? About Time is a lovely... A movie about, about fatherhood. Very iconic uh, first few minutes of Up. Very different yes. view of parenthood, of wanting yeah. to be a parent as well. well. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a love, that's a, actually very worthwhile of, of, of bringing up. Yeah. Of, of the complexities of it, of the pain that can come mm. with it as well. And there may be also where uh, you're not necessarily the parent, but you're the caregiver as well. Yeah. I, films I, that deal with that, uh, whether it's a grandparent mm. kind of or, or someone else. Uh, or, or the desire for... I think Hunt for the Wilder People is very good about that, of like the f- familial roles of, 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 of finding family in that way, of the, of the family units that, that come together. And another, um, another good film that is does with it really sweetly, Finding Nemo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and that just being kind of a theme that you see in, in mm. kids' film because it's something that's, that's so familiar, that really uh, often familiar relationship that's yeah. there. And our, our final thing to to give a question before we just recommend a movie to end off. So a question from Rainier. Um, Rainier, thank you for listening as always. Um, so, um, with people like Aster and Damon Giselle coming out of the woodwork with wild three-hour or tourist epics, are there any other recently emerging directorial voices who you'd like to see try something else similar? So who do you want to completely overindulge with a, like a massive three-hour epic? Um, I don't think I want anyone <laughs> overindulge <laughs> with a three hour epic I just uh, oh, I definitely do I don't know if I've got the time for three hours mm, true 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 um, I want Hong Sang Soo um, obviously um, to make his rather than making his 60 minute movies like five of them a year to make his like three hour epic I, what a Hong Sang Soo for an epic look would look like it would just be wild to me. Um, Boots Riley, I think, has kind of done that because Boots Riley's made a television series. Um, I'm a Virgo, so he's gone from Sorry to Bother You to the t- so that seems to be that is his wild throughout epic. Um, ooh, I mean, Elaine May should come back and just like just an even longer, better Ishtar um, throughout epic in that way. I mean, always Claire Denis. Maybe, maybe, maybe Barbie should be. Greta Gerwig's three-hour yeah, epic. Yeah, Maybe. I wouldn't mind a Greta Gerwig. I wouldn't mind an Ava DuVernay as well. Uh, yeah, that would be an amazing comeback if, if Ava DuVernay just, like, 
had her this is my three hours soul searching and would be an interesting because these three hour epics uh, because there's also um bardo a false selection of false truths that came out last year the narrative film which i absolutely hated because it was shit um that is that same idea but they're all from a very similar tortured artist perspective and it'd be great to see a less cinematically typical um voice take it on in that way um, as much as I didn't like Tatan very much, and you liked it even less than I did, would love to see an absolutely wild three-hour Julia Corno. What's she going to do with that after Tatan? That would be really, really cool. I still think there is space in the, this is long and I'm going to do some mad stuff on your screen for, for about three hours. I just think there really needs to be a reason why you're making that. Yeah, totally. Because um, I just think there is so much of a... Yeah. It, it doesn't need... I think Bo's Afraid finds that reason. I think people disagree with that, but I think Bo's Afraid is is maximalist, absolute wild nonsense and needs to be that. Um, even though I'd cut things down or replace them with it, I still think it, it, it gains so much from being, this is three hours and you're going to watch it. Um, but yeah, that is that. And before we send off, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank um, you. It's been lovely. Um, we're going to replace Vaughn full time. Um, we don't, we, don't, we don't need him anymore. He's gone. <laughs> I've, I've been replaced several times, so I, I can say that. Um, this is the first time Vaughn's actually been replaced. Um, Maybe Darcy can be There you go, yes. Yeah. Darcy the dog can be a replacement. She's, she's asleep now. Um, so she's about how she sleeps for movies as well. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, do you have a movie you've ever watched recently to recommend to our listeners before you go, or just a movie in general to recommend? Then if you don't, that's fine. Um... You, you do, wasn't it? Um, I am going to recommend, so as I keep saying on podcasts, I've been like caught up in Spike Lee movies, so I, and I don't, want to re- don't want to recommend those because I've got a podcast talk about them. But I am going to recommend a movie that Spike Lee is in. Um, and um, so When We Were Kings, the 1996 documentary, which I watched over a few days, not because it's long, but because it just in fits and starts when I could watch it. Um, as Emma knows, I not uninterested in boxing i actively dislike boxing i have like no no want to watch boxing at all um when we were kings is a documentary about um the rumble in the jungle as it was called the muhammad ali george foreman fight um and it builds up to that fight what it means and is very much a documentary as well about muhammad ali at that very important point in his career and in his personhood um I find it unbelievably compelling, even as a boxing movie. Of, I mean, you're always going to think of things like Raging Bull um, when it comes to shooting and presenting boxing. Um, but why the boxing worked here for me, which it doesn't usually, is you realize that sports commentators are good because they're good, and they get like sports commentators to describe things like I understand why this moment means something, why it matters, and it does a great job of showing how Muhammad Ali is 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 a brilliant sportsman, and it does this great thing of makes you think to do one thing or something else, and then it goes from that point to he's a great sportsman. And he's doing these things that are important. And it's this really great way of rather than making just a hagiographic portrait of Muhammad Ali, great man, etc. It shows him this like plucky upstart doing this stuff and very likely in that way. And then deals with now he's got this platform. Here are some things that he's doing. And it's such a great capturing of the time. It's a really well-made documentary. It's 89 minutes. It's on the Criterion channel. You can watch it. When We Were Kings, Leon Gast's um, documentary. Really good. Really good. Oh, me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just one. I haven't had a chance to see that many movies recently, mm-hmm. but uh, I really enjoyed Air. 
Yeah, we both really liked it. I really liked yeah. it. I came out and again, I was like, oh, just again. Yeah, really. sports not, movies. Yeah, not quite the same level that I enjoyed. Uh, I think it was me, Margaret, but... Yeah, no, I mean, it's not a great movie, but no, I was like... No, it's fun. It's fun. And it, it just... It makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable about what it's saying at points. Yeah. Especially the way that it talks about, like, the exploitation of workers and how that's going to rise. And I like, mean, it, <laughs> you know... Uh, <laughs> Hand waves that really, really apparently, but it makes you root for capitalism in a way. Oh yeah, it does. It seems does. <laughs> but ignoring that, it's, not um, it's just a really fun yeah, movie to watch. Just well, uh, the thing we talked about in the podcast is just it's just funny. It's just well written, well written, funny, endearing thing. I think Vaughn realised there are forty needle drops in that movie. Um, which is, as in just like um, licensed tracks, just playing. Bam, new song. Bam, new song. Which is. Um, and it, Completely overwhelming. Okay. I mean, it has Viola Davis in it, mm, so yeah. and that's always a win for me. Yeah, yeah. She's one of the greatest actresses. Yes, 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 yes. Of our time. Yes. So. Agreed, agreed, agreed. All right, um, that was another episode. Um, if you have an email for us uh, throughout the next episode, so thinkingofspoiling at gmail.com, um, you can find me here repeatedly, and again, over the stacks, if you want to support us um the stacks on film patreon.com slash the stacks on film and of course keep reading um the twin geeks.com i'm drinking out my twin geeks mug actually um i did that on there you go oh very very good very good she's she's good in this one um and um feel free to to plug a twitter or something if you wish to but feel free not to if you don't want to that's oh i can fine. plug something else yeah yeah, yeah. if you want to learn about my graffiti plug ahoy plug ahoy if you want to learn about my so i research historic graffiti yes. uh, in collaboration with english heritage and i look at contemporary mark making practices as well but if you want to hear more about historic graffiti i do um then you can go on to the english heritage podcast Ooh. And there is a recent episode on graffiti where I talk about my research with my uh, supervisor from the organisation. Fabulous. So yeah, listen to that. So yeah, go find the English Heritage Podcast and listen to actual scholarly, important, interesting things um, as opposed to random film witterings and ramblings. But thank you so much for joining um, me here and hoping to have you back in the future. Maybe maybe talk about, talk about Barbie at some point. I'd lovely. love to talk yeah, about yeah, Barbie. Yeah, yeah. I cannot yeah, yeah. wait for Barbie. <laughs> no, you're going to be like, ah, so good. Um, and yeah, um, until next time, Vaughn now says, I'm thinking of ending this podcast, but I'm going to say it. It was it's, it's just a Vaughn being met. So I'm thinking of ending this podcast. Goodbye. Bye.